That would be wonderful. Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And one way to enjoy life is to dive into the pages of a great read that both lifts our spirits and makes us think. So that's why today's show promises to be wonderfully inspiring. Our guest, Marilyn Moss Rockefeller, has written an incredible memoir that shares her journey from humble beginnings on an Appalachian farm to heading up a multi-million dollar company. Plus, Marilyn's one of us, a woman of a certain age, and her story of grit, determination, and a positive outlook is going to help motivate each of us as we face the challenges of growing older. Her book is called Mountain Girl, From Barefoot to Boardroom, and Marilyn's joining us today to share all about it. Boy, I'm excited to talk to you, so without further ado, welcome, Marilyn. Thank you very much, Eileen. It's a pleasure. Well, I have to begin by congratulating you on the book. I know you've been getting great reviews, uh, and also I have to say it's a beautifully written story. So, uh, And it also has to be been a labor of love to share your personal experiences. So tell us a little bit about what led you to want to write about your, your personal history. Well, I don't find it easy writing about myself. I don't know. Uh, maybe some people do, but... Uh, When I really first started, it was to be just about the company that I helped uh, begin and uh, then eventually turned it around and sold it for a lot of money. And uh, I wanted to really talk about the culture of my business that I feel made it successful. But then when I started writing it, um, so many people and my various editors said, wait a minute. You know, you we we have to know who this person is. Uh, you didn't have any business background, so where did you come from? How did you get where you were at that to be able to do that? So that's why I started the memoir, and it uh, I actually worked on it for over ten years, um, and took a couple of years off to write my other book on the Bill Moss and the designer, and. Um, what I found during that time of writing was I learned, I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote, and each time I would go back to it, I would find and learn not only more about writing, but more about myself. And as it developed, I, I became um, aware of more things that I had gone through and what was the significance of them of who I am today. And, you know, by the age of 83, you're finding out who you really are is, um, is a little gratifying (laughs) when you try to uh, find that out for so many years. So I attributed all my values and my successes and, uh, to the first nine years of my life, which, I spent with my grandparents. My mother uh, couldn't afford to keep me while she was trying to work. And this is the end of the Depression, and we were in the mountains of West Virginia, and which particularly felt the Depression with lots of poverty. And in retrospect, of course, I see we were also very poor, but 
it never felt that way. I it was the most glorious time of my life and probably the most influential. Um, I lived with my grandparents, and they had a self-sustaining farm, so we always had enough to eat. And with them, with the food that we had and them being so caring and sharing uh, that they helped other people in the area and shared their food with them, I just learned some great values. And those values have really supported me and been used probably in all the rest of my life. Oh, Marilyn, well, you know, I actually just interviewing, it's, it's bringing tears to my eyes, this story, because it really is a wonderful story. And it, what you did not grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth, but you grew up with a spoonful of love and compassion. And like, wasn't it the Sunday dinners your grandma would put on and people would come around? Yeah. I mean, it just sounds just, you know, in in a way, idyllic, I guess. So living it, though, you like you said, you were probably by certain standards considered poor or impoverished but not in you oh, know, yeah. the soul and the heart of how you grew up. That's exactly right. And and the warmth that my grandparents gave me, it was just extraordinary. You know, my grandmother, I'd be in her kitchen and she'd, you know, teach me how to make biscuits and we'd have wonderful times and the smells and the wood-burning cook stove mm. and all things were just very memorable. And um, then I course had to move on my mother finally got a a good enough job uh, to to have me come and live with her at the age of nine in uh, Maryland Hyattsville Maryland and um, she sent for me my and my grandparents put me on a train with a little tag on my coat Um, and that train ride was very transitional it you know i i couldn't understand where i was going i was excited of course to see my mother and but it was um it was i didn't know her and so i felt like i was leaving the warmth and love of my grandparents to you know some unknown which actually it turned out to be quite strange <laughs> so uh, the next part of the story sort of takes place with her saying, uh, Marilyn, we can't have you being any more a hillbilly tomboy. You have to now at the age of nine become more a young lady. So she proceeded to cut off my braids because I was too too old for braids and take and get my hair permed and put on frilly dresses and skirts and learn how to walk with a dictionary on my head and how to cross my legs properly and uh, at the ankles <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, sit at the table and put the first thing you do, Marilyn, is put down your napkin on your lap. And, you know, these things were just oh, so <laughs> weird to me. You know, I'd been milking cows and, <laughs> and shooting squirrels. And, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and she... You know, just insisted uh, because I and I don't think it was done out of any kind of mm, what shall I say uh, uh, dislike for me or or even for West Virginia. I think she just wanted to see me 
get out of the situation that she herself got out of, which could have been um, living in the mountains and probably married by the age of 18, who knows, 16, and with nine or ten children and uh, poverty. And she really wanted me to be something else than that, for sure. So it was an interesting experience. And she, what she did was also tell me that Marilyn Ray, and of course in West Virginia it was pronounced Marilyn Ray, and um, <laughs> she said, we have to drop the Ray because that's too Southern and too hillbilly. So we started calling me only Marilyn. And uh, I have to tell you, you know, especially on your show, Feisty, I love that. Um, I now have a long gray, well, white braid. And I think oh, it's so because exci- I was going to ask you, <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, oh, I'm so excited because you're coming back to, like you say, being authentic. Okay, I'll be quiet. Let you tell me more. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's exactly what, you know, to, so writing this book, I sort of found I had shut Marilyn Ray or Merlin Ray or whoever in a closet. <laughs> and, and in writing the book, I found her again. And it um, it was just wonderful to feel authentic and, as you put it, and and be finding who I really am. I had no idea because I just kept pretending and fitting in with every circumstance that I ran into or got myself into. So I now say I'm old enough to have a braid, and uh, <laughs> it's this long <laughs> white braid hanging down my right shoulder. Oh gosh, Marilyn. Well, I, 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 I am in full congratulations for that. I think that's wonderful. But let's just say until you, in between, uh, when you cut your braid off and, and today and, and I'm regrowing your braid, you've had quite a life too. So tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about how you, the turning point that started you off, uh, to conquer the world of business. Namely, Moss Kent, uh, no, I will say. No, it certainly was not my intention. Uh, I mean, uh, when my grandmother said, you can be anything you want, Marilyn, you can even be president of the United States. And I didn't know who the president of the United States was at that age. And um, I said, no, I don't, I don't know about that. I just would like to be a doctor. And uh, <laughs> so I, I never had that intention. But when I married Bill Moss, I was only 19 and um, in graduate school at the University of Michigan, and I needed a part-time job to help meet some of my expenses, and I was hired um, to come and be a receptionist, answer the phone, do a little bookkeeping, and uh, I was just enthralled and infatuated with this new bohemian or hippie lifestyle of uh, culture and art and because he was a designer and an artist before that and all the people that he knew were artists and writers and celebrities and all this and uh, he had a design company and so when I started working for him um, I found myself trying to fit in of course as I had through all my life with my mother moving to different schools and in one year and having to adapt, uh, I sort of called myself a chameleon. And uh, 
when with my my well, he's my former husband. I we eventually married. I really didn't know what I was doing. I just could adapt, and that's been most of my life uh, since I left West Virginia. Was then I became anyone and everyone. I just sort of reacted to whatever situation came about and that I was exposed to. So when we had Andy Warhol and all these Rauschenberg and John Cage and all of these artists, avant-garde artists came through our house in Ann Arbor, you know, I just, okay, all right, hi, how do you, you know, do you like, tell me this, tell me that. And um, that was how I came to really try to just fit in. And then when um, we moved to Maine, uh, Bill Moss wanted to set up a manufacturing company before we had just the design company. And I, we had two children, two small children, and I had been doing some art and I had a little art background in my studies and, and weaving and I did some art for him. And um, we moved to Maine and he set up, he wanted to set up this manufacturing company he started with only $40,000, two men invested in the company. One was my stepfather at $20,000, which was probably most of his savings and couldn't afford mm. to lose it, but it was lost within a few weeks because Bill had not any sense of business. And my stepfather came to me and he said, Marilyn, I can't afford to lose that money. Get in there and run this company. Wow. Oh, I thought, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, I have no business experience either, especially manufacturing. And I have two small children. And plus, I don't want to be a business person. And, uh, but, you know, what? when women have to do things, we do them. You know, yeah. otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to pay the bills. and And I would have had a horrible guilt feeling for my stepfather. And so I said, okay. And so I heard my real father's um, words, you can do it, Marilyn, yeah. you can do it. And so you just get in there, and that's what I'm hoping that will inspire other people, not only just women, but anyone. And I am getting responses from men, which is interesting. And, and it's just that persistence, if, if you have to do it or or you want to do it is even better, of course. You just are persistent at it, and you don't give up, and you just say, I can do it. I mean, it may be the old uh, fake it till you make it uh, um, attitude, but it it does work, and at least in my instance it did. So I got in there and ran the company, and how did I run the company without any business experience? I just was myself. I just brought those values that I had learned in West Virginia. That was all I knew to lead by, and I didn't even call myself a manager. I called myself a leader, and and we would work together, all the employees, and we would build it together. And what I wanted to do was create that trust and respect, caring and sharing that I had lived with and in in, in um, 
put that or get that into each employee so that he or she would have the opportunity to reach their full potential. But in doing that, it created this community of very dedicated and loyal and, you know, wanting to really make things work and want quality and want to be proud of their products. So, you know, it just seemed to me natural. It was intuitive. Um, you know, we do that. If you trust and respect people, they are in turn going to do the same for you and for the company. Oh, Marilyn. Well, I, what what an amazing story. And I we've got a few minutes left, but you also had an additional last name that we might want to mention. You are now a Rockefeller. So tell us a little bit about yes. what that was like, because marrying into that family now would that, be daunting, I would think. Well, that's just, I mean, another thing that, God, if you had said to me, you know, back in the mountains of West Virginia, you're going to marry a Rockefeller, I would think you were really out of your head. Um, when I w- was running the company and Bill had left and I had horrible losses there for a while, and um, my board of directors, who were also stockholders in the company, we would meet once a month and I'd give the financials and do that. And they were so supportive and loyal, but it just got so hard to meet with them and feel like a failure. But uh, one-on-one meeting, um, Mr. Rockefeller, Mr. James Rockefeller, and I didn't know him. He had invested and was put on, well, I put him on the board because he was a big stockholder. And uh, uh, he called me after a meeting and he said, Marilyn, you look so tired and so stressed out. He said, I think you need some kind of a diversion or a hobby. And I said, oh, my goodness, I, last thing I want to do is take up knitting. And he said, well, you know, I was thinking more of an affair, or you could take flying lessons. <laughs> and I was, just, I, mean, I was just shocked. And I said, an affair? I mean, first off, I don't know anyone who would want to have an affair with. And secondly, this is a small town. I don't think you can do things like that. Your choice is flying lessons or an affair. That's pretty good. <laughs> so I I did, and he loaned me his plane. I just had to take out insurance on it, and I uh, paid, of course, for the instructor, and he was right. Oh fantastic. But then I cracked up his plane. I crashed it, uh, and it was just before I was going to get my license. And when I got a ride, and that's, quite another story and it's I'll leave the readers to read that in the book coming up to his house where he had his airstrip and kept his little fabric plane and he had it was dark by then and he had every vehicle that he had on his farm which was backhoes and front loaders and tractors and cars and trucks and uh, plows and everything with the lights trying to direct the on the airstrip which was over a pond and going up a hill. And and he had two flashlights. And he came over to the car and I said, I'm so sorry. I, I have really messed up your beautiful plane. And he leaned in and with tears in his eyes, and he said, look, planes can be replaced. 
but great people cannot be. And that was when I knew there was something in this man that just was so, you know, so wonderful. And he, as the days went on, he finally called me and he admitted he had been in love with me for two years, but he certainly didn't want to break up my marriage, so... And so I was free then, and we got married. And he's, I, I've never been so happy and loved and supported in, in my life. Oh, Marilyn. Well, as, as our listeners can tell, and me too, I, again, I'm trying to fight back the misty eyes because what an amazing story you share. Uh, you do have a website, so where can our listeners go find out more about you, your other books, and, of course, get their own copy of Mountain Girl? Well, they can get a copy of Mountain Girl from Amazon or maybe from their uh, nice independent local bookstore. Um, and are, uh, On my website are the publisher. The publisher is islandportpress.com, and my website is marilynmmoss.com. Oh, well, I have to say... I was looking forward to this interview for quite a while. You have you have blown away all of my expectations, and I would like oh, to uh, end, <laughs> end with using your own words that your story of you you claim your life is one a life well lived that is a hoot to boot, and boy, you have been a hoot to boot and a lovely, lovely guest. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Well, thank you, Eileen. It's been fun talking with you. Well, it's been a lot of fun for me, too. And for you listeners out there, check out Marilyn's website and her book, Mountain Girl from Barefoot to Boardroom. It's sure to encourage you to take the bull by the horns, have your own life that's a hoot to boot, and uh, live your own uh, best years despite whatever age throws at you, because that can-do attitude. We're all going to listen to your daddy, Marilyn, Marilyn Ray, if you don't mind, (laughs) and uh, say, I can do it because, boy, you know, that is such an important message. No. Well, until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.